Why didn't Scarlett Johansson play that role in Joy that Jennifer Lawrence got? There's no reason she shouldn't have played that. It would have been way more age appropriate. Because David O. Russell isn't her best friend. Did Jennifer Lawrence steal Scarlett Johansson's career? Oh, wow. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lainey. I'm the founder and editor of LaineyGossip.com and a talk show host and a member of the Lamely. I'm Duanna Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer, and I have many theories, all of which are going to make you mad at me. Well, we're starting with a conspiracy theory report card, checking in on Saturday Night Live and Scarlett Johansson, and asking the question, why is Scarlett Johansson? Did somebody steal the career she was supposed to have? Also, did someone steal the handbook at Hallmark of what you're supposed to do when a crisis hits? We say probably because this isn't it. And finally, the angel of Christmas hits number one. How did Mimi get there after 25 years? Haley, what show is this? This is Show Your Work. First of all, Diddy is 50. I feel like 50 means something different these days than what it was when we were growing up. Well, of course. I mean, 50 is alarmingly not that far away. What's that thing, that meme that goes around um, from time to time where so-and-so is the same age as X in Cocoon? Oh, the Wilford Brimley line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I right? love that. They say Wilfred Brimley was X number of days old when he shot Cocoon. Yeah. And so congratulations, so-and-so. You've now crossed right. the Wilfred Brimley Cocoon, like, parameter or whatever. But also, Wilfred Brimley, at whatever age he was at when that meme, like, the photo that is in the meme was started, is, like, that age does not look that age now. I don't think I feel like so. it was like 42. And when I, I <laughs> when I look at it, the 42 or whatever age it was at the time now looks like a 2019-65. Okay, so my information uh, is coming from Brimley Line. At Brimley Line, Brimley Cocoon Line is a Twitter account. Uh-huh. Uh, and so it says, like the bio is, when Cocoon reached theaters on June 21st, 1985, Wilford Brimley was 18,530 days old. This account makes note of people who have reached that age. Basically, somebody who's born in 1969 is currently as old as Wilford Brimley was in Cocoon. Okay. And yes, he looked super old at the time. <laughs> so that's 50. Right now, today, right, right. Yes. 50. Yes, you're right. That's 50. So now look at Diddy. And look at Wilford Brimley. Like, the the point of that movie, Cocoon, was old folks' home. No? I mean, now we're out of my depth, but yeah. 
So <laughs> Diddy is not being admitted to an old folks home. No, like here are other people who uh, have passed the 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 Brimley cocoon line recently. Uh, Jake Tapper, uh, b- uh, Terrence Howard, uh, gosh, um, Javier Bardem. <laughs> okay, here, cocoon. According to Wikipedia, a 1985 American science fiction fantasy comedy drama film directed by Ron Howard about a group of elderly people rejuvenated by aliens. So he was cast in 1985. Duanna, what is 85 minus 69? I don't want to play this game. Okay. 14? I don't know. 85 minus 69. No, no. That's wrong of me. Thank you. <laughs> what was, are you trying to get at? Wait, wait. The movie was in 1985. Right. We're just and Wilford Brimley was born in... Oh, God. I don't know. Okay. Wilford Brimley was born in 1934. Okay. Fine. So, 1985... He was 51. Okay. So he was 50 when he was cast to be in a retirement home. Yes. No, for sure. And I mean... That's aggressive. Like, in fairness, Wilford Brimley's whole career, I don't know if he had a substantial young career, did he? I feel like he only became famous for Cocoon, playing a grumpy grandpa in our house, doing the oatmeal commercials, probably some other stuff. I'm just saying that... In some sort of fucked up universe, if they were to remake Cocoon based on that, Diddy could audition. Diddy could. Jennifer Aniston, <laughs> Julia Roberts. Yes. Sandra like, Bullock. Yep. Yes. These would be the people who would be yes. involved. Bobby Brown. Yes. yes. Like, no. Jennifer fi- Lopez. Picturing J-Lo's agent being like, they're remaking Cocoon. Wilford Brimley Brimley was your age when he was in that movie. Anyway, the whole Diddy birthday party this past weekend got me thinking about like 50 and how young and exciting 50 is. Jason Bateman. That's who they would offer that to. Jason Bateman has reached the Brimley Cocoon line and they would be like, so? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, you're not wrong. 50 is not what 50 was, thank God. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is a bit of a trip still, right? Like, what are we, what is 50 supposed to be? What do we think, what was it, I guess? What did 50 used to be? I, I, I don't know what 50 used to be. I just think that our, obviously, per generation, our image of a certain age, of course, changes, because of ease of living, circumstance, this, that, and the other. And yet, what's also interesting is that we used to accept literally 30-year-olds playing 16-year-olds on TV, and now actors have gotten younger and younger when they're cast in the teen shows that we're watching. Or at least there's a much more stringent limit on young-looking actors. Right. there's still age restrictions that mean a lot of the time you want people who are older than 14, 15. Yeah. But yeah. Huh. Of course. I mean, and even if they were of that age back then, they still looked older. We talk about this all the time about Julia Roberts has always been a woman. Well, yeah. And even just in Demi general. Moore, always been a woman. But even if you Google like 80s yearbook, just Google 80s yearbook and all those, I'm sure they were teenage girls, 
but all the sprayed bangs, the waterfalls, and the like all that makeup and the whatnot, it's almost as though like you associate the style with your mom or somebody else who was wearing those styles because they all look like like women in their 30s to my mind, even though I know logically that anybody who is in a yearbook in the 80s is 16 or 17 years old. No, I to me, I remember very distinctly St. Elmo's Fire that whole cast was after college age. So let's call it 22, 23. Yeah. They were, they were playing exactly the age, but someone who's being cast the, and when I watch it back or when I watched it then, to me, I was like, yes, those people are older. I see a show casting of college age, just past college age people now, and they look 17. You wonder where their teddy bears are, basically. Yeah. I just, I hope that we can include this in the show notes. I've just Googled uh, 1980s yearbook photos and hit Google Images, and I assume that it is, if you do this, it's the second image that comes up, but it illustrates my point perfectly, uh, and we're going to try and include it, but just so that you all can hear Laney Gossip Enterprises digesting this photo for the first time. I'm handing over the phone as we speak. The second one? This one. Oh, yeah. Like, look at them all. Yeah. They look, I mean, the hair. <laughs> I kind of want to do my hair like that tomorrow now. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's a it's a comp or girl's school maybe. But, yeah, they all look like they're 28 years old and, you know, working in an insurance agency and not the 16-year-old girls that they must have been. Anyway, I thought I'd just share my Diddy 50 birthday thoughts with you. Well, listen, I'm not trying to call you out or anything, but I thought you were going to go a different way. I thought when you started with Diddy birthday that you were going to tell me that we had a certain amount of time to plan your next big birthday. Oh, fuck no. And that's what we were getting at. <laughs> no, we're not going there. I just wanted to talk to you about Diddy being, four, Diddy being 50 and how long we've been around and doing this. I mean, Taylor Swift is 30. She's 30. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Everybody with a nine at the end is turning that number this year, yeah. you know? so She's 30. Um, it's, again, she's been famous for 15 years now. That's a long time. I've been doing this for 16 years. Yeah, you've been doing this for over half of Taylor Swift's <laughs> life. <laughs> I've been doing it for longer than you, Taylor. Um, anyway. That is, that's where I decided to, I wanted to kick off this episode of Show Your Work. With, with a nice, healthy thought of our mortality? Cool. <laughs> Neat. <laughs> Happy birthday, Diddy. Um, yes. No, by celebrating the half-century Hollywood club. Diddy has officially joined it. Great. Um, no, let's start off with where we kind of started last week. Unintentionally, we started last week. Yeah, for sure. In talking about Jennifer Lopez, we wound up talking about Saturday Night Live. And of course, we talked about how Scarlett Johansson was going to be on the next episode. And you had a conspiracy theory. I did. Uh, I said that given Scarlett uh, being on the night of what would have been December, what was that, 14th? Yep. And uh, Eddie Murphy on December 21st. Yep. That maybe they were holding back some of their good shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we got some nice emails about it. Uh, mm -hmm. we're going to hang on to those emails because a, a lot of them made me laugh, uh, for next week. But 
yeah, I thought maybe, you know, Colin Jost is the head writer. Yeah. Maybe they're going to hang on to their their good shit for his fiance. So, yeah, this is a conspiracy theory report card. How did you do? I did great. Did you? Wait, how, what are we, what do you mean? <laughs> I, I don't know that if they were banking good sketches, I, I didn't see that many. I, I will say this. I thought that this episode of SNL was way out of format, right? The uh, opening sketch, way out of format. The, everything that they did this episode, the opening, uh, the monologue was way out of format. Everything was uh, an abandonment of the usual rhythms, let's say. So many of them were totally boring to me. Oh, and Haunted Hot Tub, which oh, was weird, but I quite enjoyed the weird. Like Terrible. Oh, but it was funny weird. This no, is the thing. If, if you, I think you're like defending your conspiracy theory because you don't want to be wrong, but it was shit. I didn't, I, I seriously, I did not think so. Like it was a weird show from front to back from the very moment it opened. But I didn't think it was shit. I didn't. Uh, whether or not that backs up the conspiracy theory or not, fair enough. However, it's not like you could get away from said conspiracy theory because they were loving their love all over that show. Well, they started that show loving their love all over each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the opening monologue, it got me to thinking because she says right in the open monologue, this is my sixth time. That's right. Not everybody is, first of all, asked back twice again. Let alone. Yeah. So very few. I mean, that's why they call it the Five Timers Club, right? Because it's an elite enough group. She's now up to six. I mean, she's getting to the point where she's going to be Alec Baldwin. Like, she's going to get to whatever. I wish you guys could see the face I just made. (laughs) It was like an overwhelmed guppy. But yes, go on. Um, And... I I feel like in the context of SNL and who gets to get into the five timers, yep. does she belong there? And this leads me to a bigger conversation about Scarlett Johansson, period, and her career and who she is. Yes, biggest female box office earner. Um, we're looking at possibly Scarlett getting her first ever Oscar nomination this year for her performance in Marriage Story. She's got two films, Jojo Rabbit and Marriage Story, are award season contenders. So you could say from the awards perspective, this is the strongest year of her career from that prestige like standard. But to me, SNL and Scarlett fell flat. To me, SNL and Scarlett, I, I don't know that I'm like, oh, I, I'm so excited the way we talk about other five-timers. I do love her Ivanka. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd forgotten about it until you mentioned it, but yeah. Complicit. Um, I do like her Ivanka, for sure. But I just think that Scarlett is such an interesting person for us to talk about on Show Your Work because everybody knows her. But to your point, you've always made a point about Scarlett. Mm-hmm. What's your point? She has no memorable role. Right. So we know her. There's no iconic role that is attached to her or that she made. There. Right? There's no movie that couldn't have been made without her. First of all, shout out everybody. Calling out to you. Debate us. Debate Duanna. Agree or disagree. And on the basis of what you're agreeing or disagreeing on for this debate, well, lay your case out. 
Most people know her as? Uh, Black Widow, right? Great. Number one is that, but Black Widow existed before her, like the concept, right? Uh, I don't think it's, uh, I have not seen the Black Widow standalone movie. Is there a Black Widow standalone movie? It's coming out in May. Right. So I haven't seen it. So there you go. Yeah. Um, but I've seen all of the others and A, ain't nothing happening in that role or in those eyes in that role. Yeah. Like she's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And anybody could have been in that suit. It's like when Destiny's Child replaced, uh, you know, uh, Latavia and Latoya and just shot really far away so you couldn't tell that it was their faces. If you, like, digitally put in somebody else there, mm-hmm. you wouldn't really notice. She is beautiful. She is hot. She's not an acting powerhouse in those movies. Or, okay, nobody's an acting powerhouse in those movies. She's not a charisma powerhouse in those movies. Fair? Fair. Fair. Then there's all the Woody Allen movies. I think she fits that type real well, right? Like, I think that those movies go well in the sense that the way that she does is in line with those movies. Uh, but is she… Is she? You don't is, walk away from a movie, a Woody Allen movie starring Scarlett Johansson, thinking, holy shit, Scarlett Johansson. Like, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, I walked away thinking, holy shit, Penelope Cruz. I think I walked away thinking, like, holy shit, that movie even, but not because of… Yes, Penelope Cruz, but we already knew Penelope Cruz almost. Like, there's no, there's no iconic named role. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no Ferris Bueller. There's no Aaron Brockovich. There's no uh, Lady Bird. Like, there's no role that is, this could not have been made without Scarlett Johansson. So… That's my case. There's your case. And in case some people name Lost in Translation, you have a great line about her performance in Lost in Translation. I mean, I don't remember what I said, but I will say now, like, she walks around in her underwear. Bill Murray is that movie. The end. I'll give you your line. Oh, okay. Where did you just pull this from? Well, okay, we we had a text exchange with our friend last week. Mm-hmm. She had just seen Marriage Story. She loved it. Um, and then you went off. <laughs> On Scarlett Johansson. Should I quote you? Yeah, go for it. Scarlett Johansson is completely unjustifiable as a famous actress, let alone a notable one. Justice for Thora Birch. Oh, yeah. I do think that. Is what you said. Mm -hmm. But what has she done actually, you continue? What's her iconic role? I'll wait. And then our friend Lorella offers up, hey, Black Widow or Lost in Translation, we bought a zoo. And then you say, Lost in Translation is usually what people say, but Bill Murray acts. She looks out a window in her underwear. That is how you described her performance. I'm not, I'm not wrong. And you continue. Oh, did I? There's nothing where we're like, she made that character, let alone that movie. And you continue. Like, compare to Carrie Mulligan or Reese or Anne Hathaway. Scarlett Johansson doesn't actually make a movie. You continue. My exception <laughs> would actually be her, but we don't see her. Anyway, so this was the inspiration for me pitching this to you because, yes, you have written the thesis, the think piece on why is Scarlett Johansson. Right. And uh, yes, and I would extend that and say, yes, uh, her is my favorite Scarlett Johansson movie. Which is a Joaquin Phoenix movie. Exactly. (laughs) But all of this might sound like I don't like her, and that's not the case. I Mm -hmm. don't dislike her. I like watching her on screen. I just never remember her 
maybe this is why I'm so into Saturday Night, because I think she's like a funny girl trapped in a hot body. She was having a ball. You know, sometimes we talk about people who protect themselves or people Mm -hmm. who are just kind of watching the sketch go by. She was having a fucking blast in every single sketch. I don't remember thinking that, that she's having a great time the way I have uh, with some other people who show up there and just kind of like lose it and give her. Uh Uh-huh. But I will say that she seems comfortable. Deeply comfortable. And I just sort of go, I wonder how often she gets to like hang around professionally with a whole bunch of doofuses like this. Like she doesn't, by virtue of being a leading actress… And it's not like she's doing rom-coms, right? She goes to a very regimented set of sets and executes very in-depth technical dialogue. And it's, or very serious things, you know. You said this is her first time that she may be uh, nominated. Yes. What are the roles that we think should have been but weren't? Or what were the ones that were hopefuls that weren't? The only one I can think of is Girl with a Pearl Earring. I was thinking that too. Like there was some talk. You remember that? Yeah, talk. I remember the talk. I remember some dresses. But yeah. ultimately. <laughs> and I think they had hopes for the other Boleyn girl or whatever the Natalie Portman movie that she was in where they play the Boleyn sisters. Uh, there right, was, right, right. Before that movie was just didn't hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, and... There was some talk. I mean, Lost in Translation was in the conversation. You remember Bill Murray did not win? And she did not get nominated, but she was around that conversation. And you know the Academy loves a, how do you say this word? I-N-G-E-N-U-E. Ingenue. Okay. Why? Who told you differently? No, nobody. It's just, it's a weird fucking poncy fucking pretentious word to say. Ingenue. Like, I like to read it more than I like to say it. Nobody doubts that she's a good actress. Uh, I say justice for Thora Birch because I think, uh, obviously, I'm talking about Ghost World there. And Thora Birch was just as good. They were great together in that movie. But Thora Birch doesn't have a 15th of Scarlett Johansson's career because reasons, you know, like I'm not alluding to anything you guys don't know. There's no secret here. But like, Let's be real. She's beautiful. She's beautiful on a movie screen. She's even maybe skilled. Like, I don't dislike watching her. But the most generous thing I can say is that she has had up to now, maybe Marriage Story accepted, a bad picker. And that's really interesting because you are calling the highest grossing female movie star someone with a bad picker. Isn't that, like, I just find that so interesting. I, yeah, it is, but I, I'll stand by it. Again, go back a generation, right? We see Julia Roberts movies. We see Sandra Bullock movies. We see Nicole Kidman movies or uh, Charlize Theron movies or I don't know who got the the odd ones. It was always like others were like, I don't know, uh, Julianne Moore or Juliette Binoche. Or like every now and again, there'd be some outstanders in the group, right? Yeah. But there were, how many iconic Nicole Kidman roles can you think of? I can name three off the top of my head. Maybe uh, even more. Right? Yeah. But like just boom, they are her, she is yeah. it. How many Julia Roberts? Lots. How many Sandra Bullock? Lots. Right? The, I, there isn't something that has stuck to Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. And you're right, she's the highest grossing movie star. She has, every script is sent to her. Yeah. It's not like she's not getting access to them. Mm-hmm. 
So. So. So bad picker. Or or something else. Either yeah. bad picker or she needs to meet certain financial obligations of some sort or something. I don't know what it is, but I don't know why she, over 10, 15 years, hasn't done a movie. Not even just an iconic role. I'm not saying something where it has to be the thing where your name is the name of the character. Yeah. Um, I, Aaron Brockovich is an easy reference here, but that's yeah. not what I'm talking about necessarily. But I don't even know if her movies are that memorable. Like, I, I'm Aside not… Aside from Avengers, and that's not her movie. It's not her movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even sure if there are movies of Scarlett Johansson's that themselves wind up in the canon, you know? Uh, like, let's see here. Jojo Rabbit and Marriage Story will leave out of this conversation for the sake of argument. And let's also leave for this conversation, yeah, all the Avengers movies, right? Uh, Isle of Dogs, Rough Night, Ghost in the Shell, Uh, (laughs) Sing, The Jungle Book, Hail Caesar, Uh, Lucy. Yeah, Lucy was the big box office win. But to your point, nobody points to that as some sort of iconic thing, like dressing up as Lucy or, yeah. Nobody talks about it. No. Her, Under the Skin, Don John, uh, Hitchcock, We Bought a Zoo. Somebody tried to reference We Bought a Zoo? That was Who our was, friend Lorella. Yeah, I, come on now. <laughs> uh, he's just not that into you. Vicky Christina Barcelona, the other Belen girl, uh, The Nanny Diaries. I remember that. Like, I would say that's the last Scarlett Johansson movie I remember being like, oh, yeah, she did that movie. Yeah. Listen, you've convinced me. Yeah. I The Black Dahlia. That was supposed to be something, wasn't it? Yeah. That was supposed to be something. Josh mm-hmm. Hartnett. Um, I, I totally agree with you. I think that – I think few people have articulated it that way because of the whole box office title. Right. I think that that – as soon as you see the box office title, you – most people automatically assume, well, since she earns the most in box office, it must mean – but you don't peel back and look at it. Interestingly enough, to your point about her, Marriage Story is – a film like JoJo probably is getting more Oscar and awards buzz. Absolutely. Um, but the buzz is really buzzy for Adam Driver. Right. Like he's the one who everybody's talking about and is is really the conversation driver. Huh? Um, and people are like, it's a great movie. And yes, let's give ScarJo a nomination for it. But oh my God, Adam Driver's so good. Now, partly it's because... As Sarah wrote in her review, the story written by Noah Baumbach may be possibly, probably loosely based on his relationship with Jennifer Jason Leigh mm-hmm. is like filtered through his own lens. So that character is… It's going to be given all the nuance and all the texture. That's right. And let's not… Nobody's trying to damn anybody with faint praise here. Um, Adam Driver is incredible, right? There, He's one of the most written about people over the last 10 years of being an unusual person who turned out to be a really compelling actor and being able to pivot from a a Kylo Ren to a marriage story, you know, it's… To it, a Jim Jarmusch movie. Yes, to a, like, yeah. To the versatility. I, he's, he's, like, he's spectacular. He's skilled, no, I hate him. No but doubt. he's spectacular. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But I'll see stuff he does because it's always interesting. Oh, yeah. And then a two-hander movie… 
you go, okay, we have this powerhouse of Adam mm-hmm. Driver. And yeah. obviously he has a good picker. That's what we know. Yeah. Right? So, okay, we have to have somebody equally as strong opposite him. And here we are. And now the movie itself is getting talk of, of awards and nominations, yeah. as you say. But to be fair, as we have talked about before, an amazing performance can't stand alone. You need a partner, a scene partner. And for him to be that, to get to that level where he could be a frontrunner for best actor, I mean, he's really made a charge. Like at the beginning of the season, right, it was Antonio Banderas and then Joaquin came on strong. Nobody's talking about Joaquin right now. Everybody's talking about Adam. Yes. Everybody's talking about Adam Driver. So he could be a frontrunner right now. You need a, like he couldn't do it without her. No, absolutely. Is she maybe, to your point, like about SNL and why she's good at it, is she maybe actually a supporting actor? It's entirely possible. Yeah, because she's, again, I want to be clear. I feel like we've had these conversations where uh, it's like, oh, I don't like that person or I can't with that person or something. That is, this is not that. I don't mind watching her on screen. I don't dislike her all that much as a celebrity, Uh, you know, annoying comments aside. It's not a dislike factor. I think she has a certain amount of skill on screen. But yeah, she is better playing off people for sure. She's better with nuance. She's better in situation. You know what it is? Like the Avengers movies require almost no like long sidelong glances. There's no subtlety. There's nothing that Scarlett Johansson does well. What she does well is lost in translation. That's why people think about it and remember it, right? A bitten lip, a look that says six different things right? Those are the things she's kind of good at. Yes. Yeah. And And still not her defining role. Which? Lost in translation. No, because it wasn't, it was, look, I think it was an underwritten role, frankly. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's all that much there to hang on to. Yeah. But she didn't pursue movies like that afterwards, or maybe Hollywood wasn't making them because it goes in waves, right? She then pursued a whole bunch of movies that were not about that. She pursued all these movies that were about her being steely-eyed and firm of decision. And her lips were pursed together with determination. And that's not what people care about her for, I think. I think that this is, to me, it's, I think about this all the time with Brad Pitt. And I say that he's an underrated supporting actor mm-hmm. that, listen, doesn't mean that like he's not a good actor. It's just that he makes everyone better in the scene that he's in with. Well, I'm going to extend that a little bit. He, yes. And he's least interesting when Brad Pitt in a leading role, specifically, I would say in a leading role in a romance, right? Brad Pitt is good looking, but he is less interesting in a romance than any other way. It depends on how we define romance. Like, what do you mean? I, do we call Mr. and Mrs. Smith a romance? No, no, there's enough shit to do. Right, because that's a great movie. No, but the reason we think of Snatch and Fight Club and all those movies is because he gets to have fucking fun hanging out with his peeps. I'm not saying they can't be women, but again, it's not, it's just all like, it's not all soulful looks and whatever. Yeah. And I ha- feel Did like I… Did you say I've, burn after reading? I didn't. Because he's 
amazing in Burn After Reading. But that's a super fun, like that's one exactly. of those movies. Exactly. No, the reason I hesitated is because I think I remember having fond feelings about the Mexican, but that's Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts, so the rules don't apply. Um, but yeah. the a terrible movie and boring. Whatever. But to your point, yes, he is great in an ensemble film. He's great when he's not carrying all the things. And when he gets to be, and this is, uh, this is a, a thesis that's cooking as we speak right now, when he gets to be somebody other than the hot guy. Mm-hmm. So let's apply that logic to the Scarlett Johansson filter. When does she get to be something other than the hot girl? In her, starring Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix. Yeah, she's a great voice. I, she has a great voice, but great she's, voice. Like, she's there. I care. Yeah. There's something about, there are no ensemble films that Scarlett Johansson is in. Even, like, what's the throwback that people always go to around this time of year? What's your favorite uh, holiday movie? Quick. Like that the Quick. Love Actually thing? Sure. Yeah. I was going a different way. I was going with The Family Stone. Right. Think about The Family Stone. Great movie. Not that great. Like, has some problems. But lots of winners in it, right? And everybody in it gets to play more or less against type. So it's attractive for all of them. Yes? Mm-hmm. She's never done a movie like that. No. She's never done a movie where it's not all resting on those those qualities that have become Scarlett Johansson qualities, even though I don't think they are. I was watching her messing around in all those sketches on Saturday night going, you're having a ball. Well, no. What I will say is she has in Jojo Rabbit. And she is very supporting in Jojo Rabbit. I would say I enjoy her in Jojo Rabbit and, and think she's great. I can say she's great in Jojo Rabbit. Um, and as more than I enjoy her in Marriage Story, given that we've already established that the story in Marriage Story may not might not serve her. Right. And as Marriage much. Story is a tougher watch anyway, right? Like Jojo Rabbit right. is a ball. Ooh, like it's a it, it, come it's on. It's satire. Yeah, it's but weird. It's, it's yeah. You're it's, expecting to have more punches yeah, thrown. It, exactly. Yes. And I guess it's interesting too that um in Jojo Rabbit, although I wouldn't call it, again, her defining iconic role, mm-hmm. um, she is working with a director who is seeing her in an offbeat way. Right. Taika, I think we all love him. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Taika Waititi, um, you know, would have known her, I guess, a little more from Avengers, from that Marvel universe. And he said, hey, Black Widow, come be the mom of this kid in Nazi Germany about this story where Hitler is the imaginary friend. Wanna? And but, that's interesting. Right. But my point, she doesn't have to be a hot girl and she no. doesn't have to save the world. No. She gets to be seen otherwise. And I have all the time in the world to talk about actors being typecast. I really do. And I think it's a legit problem. I think it's something we all used to talk about with Reese Witherspoon. But she is, as you say, the highest grossing female actress. She has all the choices. So I I don't know whether she has internalized that I can only play this kind of role or whether they just, you know, the studios that she works with. I mean, here's another thing. You don't hear about Scarlett Johansson producing and writing. And don't yell at me. I'm sure she has a production company. I'm sure that she 
you know, has business interests somewhere, but she's not one of those people who's like, yeah, I'm actively crafting roles for myself and others. You're making a face. What? Well, it's funny you mentioned this because the last time she tried most recently is when she got into trouble where she was going to produce that story in which she would play the trans person. Right, 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 right. Right. So, um, so, but that speaks to actually, that speaks to your picker thesis. Kind of. Yeah. That was the thing she picked to produce and we all know what happened and that's not happening anymore. Right. And, and, you know, with ghost in the shell and so forth, like, I mean, they also speak to that idea of choosing things that are not just plain old leading lady. But what are we what are we doing? Or did the movie industry change when Scarlett Johansson's back was turned and she almost doesn't like uh, to be fair, I'm not sure what movie is out right now or has landed on us in the past few years in a real delightful way where I would say, oh, she should have had that role. Right. I noticed you write about Bird Box today. That role is not for her. Um, she's a weird age and stage, I guess. Like what, what movie should she have had without maligning whoever's in it? You know, I can't think of something in the last little while where I'm like, oh yeah, that really could have used a Scarlett Johansson influence. And I think it's, you know, you were listing off contemporaries, right? Mm -hmm. In that text thread that I read that where you couldn't stop. Uh, writing your thesis. Well, I really just said justice for Thorberge because ghost world, but yes. But um, one of the names you dropped in there was our beloved Carrie Mulligan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And Carrie Mulligan, I mean, this trailer dropped for a promising young woman. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Yes. And uh, Carrie Mulligan, um, well, holy shit, first of all. Now, given that we are predisposed to Carrie Mulligan – we think she can do anything. Yeah, but she doesn't do a ton of she things. She doesn't do a ton of things, but the ton of things that she does is varied enough. Yes. Melancholy singer here mm-hmm. and there. Um, the ingenue there in, educa- in uh, an education, right? Yep. And then she can do some, she can do some Coen brothers. She can do uh, um, Mudbound. Yeah, she like, just she but, operates in a different echelon, yeah. right? And I don't and not necessarily a higher one, but who else did I say in that in that thing? Because I'm working up yet another thesis here. So you went uh Carrie, Reese, Anne. I'm surprised you threw Reese in there, but I am too, but I just uh I think let's take Reese out of it for a minute. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've found a weird place here uh, in in my personal bugaboos because do you know how old Scarlett Johansson is right off the top of your head? 37? She's 35. Okay. And Hathaway's 37. Uh-huh. Carrie Mulligan's 34. Uh-huh. It's a weird age. Yeah. It is a weird age in that they should be the big ass leading ladies, right? You talked about who is 50. Julia's 51 and uh, Nicole's probably 53 and blah, blah, blah. And when they were 37, they were still making big, big, big rom-com girly movies. Pardon? 
Yeah, Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. I'm thinking about Stepmom, which was a real bridge age-wise, right? Yeah. Like for Julia to my best friend's wedding and, uh, gosh, like, yeah, and Aaron Brockovich and kind of like showy movies, mm-hmm. if if you will. And those don't seem to be existing for these women in the same way. Maybe they played too many young, like, want to get married girls in the early 2000s and so... They don't want to play those roles now. I don't know. There just aren't those same roles to be filled. The two roles that we see Scarlett in now, mm-hmm. in Marriage Story and JoJo. Yes. She's playing moms. Yes. And she is a mom, we should say. She has a daughter who yeah. is, I don't know, three or four or something. Yeah. There's a line where, um, in marriage story where, you know, she's describing what happened to the marriage mm-hmm. and specifically what happened to her in the marriage. Mm-hmm. And she said, as our marriage got longer, I got smaller. Mm-hmm. And so she's playing this woman who's lost herself. Yeah. She doesn't know who she is. Yeah. And of course, she's a supporting character in Jojo Rabbit. She's a mom. She's soft and nurturing and... She's really, she's not like the image that is out there for better or for worse, for whether or not it's wrong that we see Scarlett Johansson in a certain way. It is not that image. So, but what certain way do you mean? Do you mean like hot and sexy and tough? And tough. Yeah. Right? It's not just Black Widow, but like also like a little bit damaged. Black Widow. I mean, certainly Natasha Romanoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, a, like a little bit uh, with secrets, machine esque, if yeah. you will. Yes, she has secrets. It's mm-hmm. the secret thing, right? She has secrets. She's holding back something. I mean, she doesn't trust very easily. I know, but even then, I'm going, yeah. But Carrie Russell does it better on The Americans. That is who Carrie Russell is playing, much more right. nuancedly. Well, Carrie Russell is actually the real life tangible Natasha Romanoff. Yes. Um. But or, or Elizabeth Jennings yes. is, but anyway. So I think I wonder, Duanna, whether or not JoJo and Marriage Story are maybe the the pivots. Okay, so I love that idea. Um, keeping in mind that as movie going audiences go, almost nobody will see them relative to the people who see uh, the Avengers and will see Black Widow and so forth. Right? That may not matter. As she points out in her SNL monologue, what, like, we're worried about money? Yeah. Like, she actually says that, or which he wrote for her, undoubtedly. Yes, he did. Um, but, so, okay. Like, I'm into that for sure. I guess I'm coming to a place through this conversation where I just lament that there aren't more still. There aren't, there still aren't more movie roles. We talk a lot about how... Uh, you know, the focus turned to TV. TV mm. got great. A lot of Here people, yeah. right, went yeah. to TV. Yeah. Um, but maybe there's a certain echelon at which you can't go to TV or your people are like, are you kidding me? Or you have enough existing obligations that uh, a television schedule or a project is not going to fit into your life or whatnot. But I sort of go, okay, so if you're too big or otherwise unavailable for peak TV, the roles that are left over kind of suck. 
I'd like to see her in an eight episode something. Fucking yes. Yeah. Of course. Where every week we get to discover something new. I would love to see her in a, you know, a real dark comedy, like something like Better Things, the Pamela Adlon show, you know, or a, or something like that, that lets us, yes, live with her for a short period of time. I feel like she also could have been, you know, yeah, there's so many things. How old is Kirsten Dunst? Uh, I want to say 32, but I love no. where you're going here. No, 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 no. No, she's probably 37. Stand by, stand by. I she's know what's right happening there, right? here. Uh, Kirsten Dunst. Excellent question. Kirsten Dunst was born 1982. She's 38 years old. Seven? Uh, 1982. She's born in April. Uh, yeah, what's 37. Yeah. So right there. Yeah. Same-ish of, of all the people we were talking about enlisting. Yeah. And again, and Kirsten, we love her in uh, Becoming a God. Love her in Becoming and a God on Central Florida. imagine something like that kind of a role. Yeah. And Kirsten Dunst was, you know, she was very much a working movie actress at a time when a lot of them maybe had faded away, right? She was still doing, uh, what was that? Melancholia? I love Melancholia. I hated it. Did I? Wait. Because Lars von Trier, um, yeah, I, we, I think we all have a complicated relationship with Lars von Trier. So I like that reference. I like that you're, but I think, I guess what I'm getting at is, uh, and then Kirsten Dunst did Fargo season two. Yep. I think what I'm getting at is that somewhere along the way, she made a choice, right? Hey, mm-hmm. I'm going over here or stuff is more interesting over here. Now, but you know the common ground there. Which common ground? Sofia Coppola. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. But my point being, uh, but Kirsten Dunst was never a bombshell. She was always a beautiful and appreciated blonde actress. Yeah. But she was never what yeah. Scarlett Johansson has been engineered to yes. be. Yes, yes. And I can see, even as we're talking, that maybe once upon a time, the way out of that would have been period films, right? Would have mm-hmm. been the girl with the pearl earring yeah. and the other Belen girl. And now it's like, no, well, it's not that. No. So She's like Matt Damon to me. I can't see him in period and I can't see Scarlett Johansson in period. That's interesting. I don't yeah. like... Like picture fucking Matt Damon in like um, dangerous liaisons. <laughs> there. <laughs> there. The end. Right. I mean... Uh, <laughs> My favorite Matt Damon movie is sort of period. My favorite Matt Damon movie, <laughs> bar none, is The Informant, um, right. which is, you know, 90s. But even yeah. that, even that, give me a biopic about, why didn't Scarlett Johansson play that role in Joy that Jennifer Lawrence got? There's no reason she shouldn't have played that. It would have been way more age appropriate. Because David O. Russell isn't her best friend. Did Jennifer Lawrence steal Scarlett Johansson's career? Oh, Wow. Like, we actually both just kind of stopped still here. I mean, maybe, right? I think it's a possibility that there was only one kind of funny, kind of sassy, sexy, tough blonde for those roles, for the more humorous, more humanistic roles. Scarlett Johansson could have done Silver Linings Playbook with her eyes closed, Mm -hmm. right? Wouldn't Mm -hmm. that have been good? Mm -hmm. She could have done that role in Joy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What What else has Jennifer Lawrence been too young for? Oh, fucking American Hustle. Yeah. Scar- There's where Scarlett Johansson could have done, period. 
Yes. She would have been great. Yes. In American 70s, Hustle. Yes. 70s. Right? Yeah. I blame Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> Katniss killed Black Widow. Yeah, but seriously, uh, like, I love when I make you laugh, but she is a bit of a conundrum, right? Like, we've talked for a while now, but I don't know if we've landed on anything that is prescriptive. Sometimes we sit here as though we have them all on speed dial and we're like, you should do this or that or the other. But I don't think we've found that, have we? No, but I think it sets up an interesting conversation for where Jennifer Lawrence goes in 10 years. She's a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and where she'll find herself and how you pivot. And, you know, where, again, I maintain that the Jojo Rabbit and marriage story roles for Scarlett Johansson may mark, uh, you're, you're saying, you're talking about viewership. I'm talking about like people rethinking her in Hollywood. You, we all know that you can be pigeonholed from like in the minds of the casting directors and the executive producers and all those people. I mean, yeah, I would believe that if she were the, like if she weren't, as you point out, such a big box office drop, they should be showing her all of their projects. Does anybody ever decline a role like a Marvel role? Does anybody say, you know what? No, I don't think that's going to go anywhere good for me. Has there ever been legend of that? Yeah. Okay. Interestingly enough. Go on. Emily Blunt turned down Black Widow. And that's why Scarlett Johansson is Black Widow. And that kind of sums it up right there. Doesn't it? Emily Blunt is lots of things, but she's not one thing. Like she's, she's got a variance and a nuance and a, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Emily Blunt was offered Black Widow. Correct. Huh. Well, that I like. Think about the sliding doors there. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I have a seat at the table for, uh, for the award show talk and about when they ask her what project she's doing next and, I'm going to be really interested in what kind of insights the hardcore campaigning reveals, right? What's the secret that she drops at what time if that's, if that's a thing that's required? Yeah, I'm interested in this campaign. Like, what? It's uh, Renee Zellweger, Charlize Theron, Scarlett Johansson, Aquafina, maybe, Lupita. Um, I don't know that Scarlett's winning for marriage story. But I do think that this is part of a larger plan to get her to the second nomination where she will win. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A weird thing has been happening um, where advertisements are either getting themselves into trouble or getting networks into trouble. There was like the big Peloton controversy. Oh my God. <laughs> And on the heels of that, um, a wedding planning website called Zola bought advertising on Hallmark, the Hallmark channel. Yeah. And there was a complaint lodged about that ad by one million moms 
because they objected to the same-sex love story wedding. Right. And so then Hallmark was like, oh my God, sorry, one million moms. Um, we'll pull the ad. And then there was backlash against them pulling the ad. And then I think at last check, Hallmark is like, we're so sorry, we pulled the ad, we're putting the ad back on. Yeah. The only clarification I have on that is that in the meantime, so I guess there were actually six ads, uh, all from the same company, Zola, and four of them featured same-sex couples kissing, I guess, at the end of the wedding, right, in the commercial, and two were not. And so Hallmark said, uh, we're not going to air any of the same-sex ones anymore. Yeah. To which Zola replied, fuck you, then you're not airing any of them. Yeah. Now, I'm sure there are frantic phone calls going back and forth as we speak. Mm -hmm. But yes, that was that conversation or lack thereof. So I think we can agree on the fact that we don't need to spend any time on like one million moms and whatever their grievances are. This is a stupid reason to pull an ad. The end. But what we're interested in is the process um, through which they did pull the ad and then unpulled the ad, um, made a decision and then canceled their decision. It is, it's the, it's ridiculous. Like, it, it sounds like something out of the White House, right? Not to be too, uh, I don't know, cutesy. So this is all happening. I guess my question to you first is, why do you think this happened? Um, Hallmark announces on Saturday morning that it's pulling the ad. So I don't know. We don't have the Hallmark channel here. Mm -hmm. uh, w Network in Canada airs some Hallmark Christmas movies or right. other movies, but we don't have the full-time yeah. broadcast. And right. not to be confused with Lifetime movies, they're similar but different. Yeah. So I don't know if Friday night is a big Hallmark movie night or what, but Saturday morning is when Hallmark says, uh, we're going to pull all the ads. The debate surrounding these commercials on all sides was distracting from the pr purpose of our network, which is to provide entertainment value, says Molly Bywer, Senior Vice President for Public Affairs and Communications. She says this to the Associated Press. The Hallmark brand is never going to be divisive. We don't want to generate controversy. We've just felt it was in the best interest of the brand to pull them and not continue to generate controversy. Right. That's Saturday morning. And then by Sunday night, they have reversed their course altogether. <laughs> right. Hallmark has been agonizing over this decision. As we've seen the hurt it has unintentionally caused, says oh. the CEO, Mike Perry. Said simply, we believe this was the wrong decision. Our mission is rooted in helping all people connect, celebrate traditions, and be inspired to capture meaningful moments in their lives. Anything that detracts from this purpose is not who we are. We are truly sorry for the hurt and disappointment this has caused. So this is like 36 hours. Yeah. How many people do you think are fired? Who got woken up at home to be like, there's, there's kissing the moms. The one million moms are furious. I don't know if anyone's fired. Okay. I just don't know. Like, it is not their brand, right? Like, Hallmark is, you made the lifetime comparison like Lifetime will go a little bit more racy, for lack of a better word. Um, Hallmark is pretty fucking safe. Yes. Lifetime deals in drama. Well, um, Lifetime also aired R. Kelly, right? It, we talked about it at the beginning of this year. For sure. And they aired on real. Lifetime is in the middle of a pivot. But I mean, I think there's still something 
people still think of a lifetime movie, but even those movies are more drama filled. Yes. Than a Hallmark movie. Yes, yes, absolutely. And of course, before people freak out, I don't mean to refer to R. Kelly as racy. I'm just saying in general, Lifetime's content is a little bit more dramatic, whereas Hallmark is, I mean, it is as safe and, uh, if you want, clean as possible. Well, and to support your point, uh, the former face of the Hallmark channel was Lori Loughlin who right. uh, was in all those um, mystery movies. I think she made like three a year. Yeah. Uh, and when the uh, Varsity Blues scandal broke, they immediately dropped her. Uh, they want no part of anything messy whatsoever. Yeah. So uh, they because that's their brand, typically they're not going to have experience in crisis management. That's an excellent point. You know what? That is a very good point. They have literally never run into something like this before, let's say. Right. And again, their whole brand is to never run into something like this. So for them, what's interesting is they made a business decision or this was to support the business. Advertising pumps money into the network. Every network needs advertising. So this advertiser came on Hallmark plus weddings equals love equals everybody's happy, of course you're a suitable brand to advertise on our network. Sure. Yeah. This is, um, it's not e-cigarettes or it's not alcohol, <laughs> like, whatever, right? This seems like a, a great fit, a business fit. So you take the money and then you run the ads. They were not expecting, for sure they were not expecting anybody to object because this is love. It's a wedding website. Yes. I, and I mean, I, who knows who saw the spots in, you know, to know them. But yes, what are you? You're a wedding organization website. Great. Yeah. And uh, fantastic. You know? Yeah. Fine. Now, Zola is a company that understands that weddings apply to all people who want to get married and not just the straight people who want to get married. That's correct. So they make the ads according to their brand. Yeah. They send them out to the network. It airs, One Million Moms Gets Mad, and mad people are generally, like, I, lately I've been saying this thing where, unfortunately, hate is louder than love. That's interesting. And so they start pounding down the door, and Hallmark panics. Right. And we should point out that One Million Moms is, it sounds cutesy, that's an official lobby group. They, their whole brand is fucking shit up that you wish they wouldn't. They get on things that they think are not family friendly or that are, you know, harming the the American nuclear whatever. Whatever. Um, No, but I point this out because uh, their their website is full of uh, campaigns. They allege that they have made wins in this or that or this campaign, but this is their whole thing. Yeah. They go ahead and make some noise, and somebody at the network is like, oh, 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 This okay. has never happened before. What's going on? We don't get complaint phone calls. You know, our shit is so safe that what would people be complaining about? Oh, fuck. It's these Zola ads. Okay, well, make it go away. Make it go away. That is, to me, what was guiding them on Saturday. Let's just make this go away. How quickly can we make this go away? Correct. Yes, Absolutely. 
Um, and But I guess what's interesting to me is that I don't know how many individual complaints they got, but again, one million moms is a lobby group. It's not a literal one million people complaining. I would love to know how many calls were actually coming in, how many are just professional noisy people yeah, as opposed to legitimate complaints. But yes, this happened. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry. Okay, we're going to take them down. Yeah, because yeah. I guess you could say the first rule of crisis management is make it go away. Try and just like back away from it, clean it up, let's wake up the next day and like let's wake up with a smile on our face the next day and it's not going to be here anymore. This whole mess. Right. And to be fair, there's nothing that's easier to do that with than a commercial on a broadcast network. It's gone. It's over. Yeah. You won't see it again. Yeah. The end, right? Like it's yeah. easy to make that go away. But then… But then… Um, then, of course, they were called out by everybody under the sun. Uh, the, the early ones, which there's, this is nothing to laugh at, but it just kills me. Um, Sandra Bernhardt and William Shatner were early in calling out Hallmark, uh, and, you know, shaming them for bowing to this kind of pressure. As if those two ever watched Hallmark. Um, well, but this I think is maybe the thing, right? Yeah. And it, of course, Ellen called them out, uh, Ellen DeGeneres, mm-hmm. um, and so forth. But I, I mean, they might've worked for the Hallmark channel, both of them, but this is what's interesting. They didn't put the ads back on air or apologize for having yanked them because of a few celebrities. No. And they didn't do it because of like, I don't know, somebody in the corner office who's like, maybe we were too hasty. It means that they heard from millions and millions of people, Mm -hmm. right? And so what's interesting to me is clearly whoever made the initial decision at Hallmark Channel didn't think that their audience was pro-LGBT or would feel this loss or would notice this loss. And that's interesting to me. Well, I'm not sure this is what we're talking about. I don't know if they thought that through at all. Maybe not. Like, I don't think that they, when they woke up on Saturday morning, were like, oh, fuck, we pissed off whatever, those people. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We are going to just fix it. Just fix it. I don't know that they were like, um, uh, let's convene an emergency meeting. Let's debate the pros and cons. What can we foresee happening here? It was really, again, this brand completely unprepared for controversy, period, was like, okay, just fucking pull it and let's kill this. But that scenario that you lay out implies that they just didn't think about the the messaging of it at all. And I think that's, I don't care how hearts and flowers you are. Like, I don't know if that's a business practice in almost 2020 to not consider it. Like, I feel like I have to go back again to Saturday Night Live in the opening sketch when they have, uh, you know, everybody gets uh, gets dusted, gets Thanos, right? Yeah. And Bowen Yang says, gay and the only Asian, Twitter is going to roast you. Like, that's a funny line because it's self-aware. Because, yeah, you have to look at how things appear. So, on the one hand, maybe they didn't look or think about how it would appear. Mm-hmm. Or on the other hand, they didn't think that their audience would have an objection to the ads being pulled. I'm not sure which I think is more likely, let's say. 
Well, I think that to begin with, if you consider the fact that they were a business, are a business, and they were like, let's get this money. That is the point of business. A hundred percent. And let's get this money. Yes. And Hallmark Channel, of course, is a subsidiary in some way or brand from Hallmark, the products, like, sure, whatever. So they're like, yeah, let's take this money from Zola. Yep. Cash it. Great. Yeah. Then Saturday morning, remember, they were like, they were so hasty and like, they were so ready to just make this go away that they were like, send the money back. Yeah. Yes. But that's the thing though. That's such an extreme reaction. Send the money back as opposed to just saying, uh, okay, maybe we won't air it anymore or whatever. They, they literally, to your point said, we're pulling the ads and announced it as such. Mm -hmm. Like they came out and said, this is not us. We don't do controversy. Well, Listen, you said this happened on Saturday morning, a weekend. How much time could they have given this? I I don't, yeah. To craft the statement from the fucking PR person and send it out. If they didn't actually think about it, because if they did think about it, it wouldn't have been Saturday morning. It would have been fucking like Sunday. <laughs> yeah, or something, because by if, Sunday night, yeah. yeah the- they, they, they clearly, I don't think they convened everybody. Like if it was a conference call, it was a conference call for 15 minutes, which is not enough time to hear from everybody at the table. Right. But then, yeah. But then, of course, um, 24-odd hours later, something big had to have happened for them to make such a rapid turnaround. Right. I think that in that 24 hours, maybe finally they had to hear from other people at the table and all constituents and at least be like, dude, you jumped the gun. Well, to your point about money, I hope they heard from other advertisers. I do. I hope that there were other people with money. Because again, like we say, it's not Sandra Bernhardt and Ellen DeGeneres that make the needle move. Ellen DeGeneres is pretty freaking powerful, but not in this case. But I'm trying to think of who else was so afraid of the backlash, of the controversy, of the negative headlines that they were like, put it back, put it back, put it back. Like that there, whatever, I, I don't think, you know, I read the name of uh, whomever it was who made that first statement on Saturday morning, uh, that VP. I don't think that person uh, was shooting in the dark. I'm sure she was reading some corporate document about our values are being nice to everybody and not rocking the boat loosely. For sure. So I, I'm curious about who it was who rocked the boat the other way to move the needle to be like, this is worse. And also, probably, finally, they had some time to actually convene a meeting. But again, not that much time, because it was still a weekend. Still more time than, like, fucking wake up, 9 o'clock, oh, check Twitter, we're getting bombed, 10 o'clock, release a fucking statement. I don't want to, I hope I didn't imply that. I don't know if it happened in an hour. But your point being, if they said it on Saturday morning, then it must not have been that, you know, long a time. A li- Look, clearly what Hallmark has learned is that they aren't too safe or that you can't be too safe not to have like a process, like a plan in place, or at least the people who may know how to handle this and at least discuss it and have the conversation. In Hallmark's case, they were operating not nefariously. Here is a network 
who takes money from an advertiser. This is a wedding planning website. Yeah, nobody's, it's yeah. The, it's seemingly, they did not make a mistake in conducting their business from the beginning. Well, I suppose that you could say that whomever received the ads could have, you know, may, uh, should have waved a flag up the flagpole being like, hey, four of these are not heterosexual couples. How do we feel about that? Like before they aired them. Oh, I don't know if I agree with that. Like, How do you mean? Well, I'm not saying I think that is a good idea, but either, like, this is where, this is why I talked about who called who. Because let's say, for the sake of argument, that a a young ad buyer is uh, is like, oh, hey, we got this Zola campaign, and then the ads come in, and then it's like, oh, four of these couples are not heterosexual. Hey, boss, uh, do you want to see this? And the boss is like, fucking good. It's 2019. Go for it. Air it. Somewhere along the way, either those people were acting in good faith, like, yeah, this is fine. Why shouldn't we? Yeah. That's in. That's if we believe that there is no policy like this. This is your point, right? That there's no policy at Hallmark against same-sex representation. I hope not. I hope not too. But I like it. I, given that same-sex marriage is legal in the United States now, absolutely having an official policy that would flag that same-sex anything would be against company policy is a little dicey. 100%. But I'm coming from a place of knowing that networks have a brand, right? You advertise something different on Hallmark than you do on FX, than you do on uh, the children's TV treehouse, right? Right. So I do think it's discretionary for people to say, oh, this is ours or not ours or so forth. Your point is if it's written down, that is a, a... a problem. Yes. I'm saying to you, I know that you're not speculating that of course they would be open to everything because everybody's fine because we're not that uh, naive. I, you know, I'm going to wear your pants here, yeah. which is what the pants that you normally wear. And I'm be, I'm going to say like, no, 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 this is not something anyone should have to flag. I, I, I love that idea, but I also like, I love that idea, but I also know about corporate culture that I'm worried about the, the, yeah, whoever bought the ads that was like, I didn't think there was anything to flag and is now like been put on filing duty for the next month. Somewhere and, yeah. somebody is blaming somebody. That uh, That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. I'm not trying to cut you off. But if this wasn't a problem, if this wasn't somehow somebody should have sounded an internal alarm, then we wouldn't be here. Because uh, around and around we go. But then if it's not contrary to any policy – then I don't think they wake up on Saturday morning and apologize for it. No, I mean, if there was a policy, that is, again, a problem to be investigated. Different conversation. But if you have it fucking written down that well, uh, your programming is anti-gay or no gay allowed, then that's a different problem. A hundred percent. But I think this situation is the kind of situation for which the phrase unwritten rule was created, right? And there I go back to, um, Colin Jost made a joke about, to go back to SNL, yeah, yeah. about Hallmark, I think, on Weekend Update, and he was like, you know, um, something, something, who's watching Hallmark, and he oh, was like- Oh, it was like, Michael Che, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, said, and yes. he's like, if the boy is watching Hallmark, then, yeah, he's going to respond to that ad, and he's going to love it. Yeah, the, yes. And so, I think that 
to me, yeah, maybe conventional wisdom might be that the Hallmark Channel appeals to the typical um, generic one million mom, who whoever is a member. But I think that actually Hallmark movies are very like the gay community is super down. Oh, a hundred percent. And I don't disagree with you in the least. But that's, so why would it need to be flagged? Because I that. But this is where I. That's what I think I've been trying to talk about. Is I don't know if Hallmark the brand has internalized that until the time between the first and the second statements. I don't know if they thought their audience was who they thought it was, because if they did, if they thought we have a substantial number of uh, gay, straight, uh, all people who just love getting into a Christmas fantasy, like, I mean, come on, this is not, we've heard, how many people have you seen on Twitter or whatever who are like, I'm putting on the Christmas marathon from December 1st, right? right. This is a, this is something that cuts across all socioeconomics and whatever. But I cannot believe, like... (sighs) The problem is you and I are debating all these like weird debates and nothing yeah. looks good because I can't believe that if Hallmark knows that, yeah. if they're like actually 31% of our viewership actually mm-hmm. identifies as a, you know, uh, gay men 21 yeah. to 40, I can't believe that they then pull that ad and apologize knowing that they have that audience. And I think that, I think that you're overthinking it. Okay. I think the more simplistic thing is that they were freaked out by cancel culture Ah, we are not the people who trend on Twitter and we are not the people that, you know, the one million moms of the world object to. Fuck, what do we do? And okay, 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 just fix it, just fix it. And again, I think what we were discussing is cancel strategy. They didn't have a cancel strategy or a cancel anti-cancel strategy in place. They didn't know what to do. They were caught with their pants down in not like being experienced enough to be like, these are fucking assholes and we're not going to listen to this or we should listen to this or here's what we need to do. Here's how we need to look at it. I just can't believe that you can be in business at this point in time and not go, yeah, but what about the backlash? Even if you don't know who, like, just in, like you just imagine it. Okay, what would the backlash be? From whom? I I find that to be... Well, I think that that is your blind spot, frankly, like when you say you can't believe because that's how you operate. But people make mistakes every day that you wouldn't have made. And they make them in a grand corporate way. So And I make mistakes. Like let's make, let's, I'm not saying I'm perfect in this scenario, but it seems as though, yeah, if you have any working knowledge of, as you say, cancel cancel culture or having a strategy or whatever, that part of it is going, then what will happen? But my point is believe. Like, you can't believe that X, Y, Z. No, no, no. Believe this is what happens every day. They are not the first ad major company in December 2019 in North America that made like a PR misstep. There was another ad that has been run this month that people were like, what the fuck are you thinking? And has sent itself into a crisis. Brands and Networks do this all the time. NBC also just did the same thing. So when you say you can't believe, no, believe. People aren't prepared. They aren't experienced. We are also find ourselves in that uh, situation often. We are not perfect. We make mistakes. And sometimes the mistakes are on this grand scale. 
And so, yeah, like definitely everybody implement a cancel or anti-cancel strategy. How do we guard against that as individuals and as corporations? I don't mean guard against criticism because that Mm -hmm. is impossible. Yeah. What is the guiding principle? It's a bigger question of work, which is like obviously super interesting to us because we're talking about the real world application of all these things. The fact of the matter is these days, as boring as this sounds, is that budgets are shrinking. Mm -hmm. And in almost every company, more people are doing more work or less people are doing more work. For sure. This is the consequence. This is, if we're looking at it at face value, which is my perspective of how this went down at Hallmark. Sure. The panic happens Friday night, Saturday morning. Somebody says, oh, fuck it. We don't have time to have a meeting and I don't know, whatever, just do it. And people are inexperienced because Uh they haven't been trained properly because there isn't enough resources to train them properly. They do the wrong thing and then they have to fucking backtrack in 24 hours. This is, to me, always a result of resources. Nobody has the time. Nobody has the training. And inexperienced people are put in jobs where they can't handle the situations that are thrown at them. From hospitals to factories to uh, law enforcement to television networks. Okay, sure. Um, but budgets are not going, budgets are not going to come back, right? We believe that. So uh, like until there's a, I guess my thing is, okay, so when you find yourself in a crisis, I mean, I guess number one, don't release a statement on a Saturday. Yeah. Don't panic. Yep. Um, but what else do we have? Like, definitely think about what a backlash looks like before you react in a given way. Yeah. Fair? Yeah. Um, Who is backlashing is important. Of course. I would say uh, be as transparent with your own staff as much as you can, right? Like, tell everybody this is a thing that's happening because otherwise people get misinformation. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I do have this image of these young people telling all these, like, tearing their hair out executives. Like, you just have to wait for, like, 36 hours until somebody does a meme and then it's all going to go away. Yeah. Like, something. But it's but it's kind of a, yeah, it's a, it's a troubling debate to think that, uh, yeah, there aren't resources in place and this is why this stuff happens. And I, I guess, finally, to go back to, like, Everything that we always say is have more voices at the table that are representative, inclusive, and diverse. It's amazing to me, like, when you can stop things. I mean, listen, this has happened to H&M. It's happened to, you know, T-shirts that are released that are offensive. And we've talked about how many levels of oversight have to happen before you release a T-shirt that's essentially gross and racist. Yep. Um, And if you have people at the table who are speaking from a varied experience and background that is different from yours, you might get a sense of the reality of the situation and not make the stupid decision before it happens, like fucking pulling the ad when before you get the buy-in from everybody or releasing the goddamn t-shirt that is so stupid and offensive. It's almost Christmas. I know. It's like countdown is on. It's a week to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first time in 25 years, this generation's most popular Christmas song. Uh, uh, 
<laughs> Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You has hit number one. On like a special Christmas chart? No, on the Billboard 100. Um, okay. I know, right? Yeah, all right. It's never done it before. Well, I mean, is it only eligible six weeks a year? How does a Christmas song hit the number one on the chart like 25 years after its release? Well, exactly. But the point is, is that it's never been number one until now. And then now it's been played, it's been streamed, it's been sold enough times, all of that that goes into counting over the last, what, when did we start playing it? November 1st? <laughs> That's when she declared. Right. Um, it was the season. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, for the last six weeks, it has finally got to number one. I mean, over the last few years, we've, like, we started paying attention because since that statistic came out, all I want for Christmas is you has never been number one. People are like, this year it got up to seven and this year it got up to three, but it's never crowned. I have to be honest with you. 99% of the time when you or I say we on this podcast, yeah. I feel real confident about it. I know when I'm speaking for you and I feel fine about it and vice versa. Yeah. You represent me when you say we, except now, because you're saying we've been noticing it's been going to seven or whatever. I guess the lamely. I, I'm sorry? <laughs> the lamely. I, yes. yes. I did not know that this was a thing to, to watch. I couldn't even conceive of, maybe I have low ambition. I couldn't even conceive of a Christmas song going to number one when it only has such a limited time to be in contention. I know. And then also when it's not even that fresh and new, except… <laughs> okay, so you… Yes. Except um, it is the song that just comes back year after year and will keep coming back for as long as… Well, long after we're gone, they'll I'm, be listening to the song. Yeah, and I almost think it like… It, the snake eats its own tail, right? The song itself sounds a little bit timeless, so it doesn't sound super… 1994. Right. Doesn't sound like it was released then. No. Then there have been so many people who have remade it that you almost find yourself going like, is this the original? No, it's not the original. Yeah. Et cetera. Like, it, you're right. It became a new classic in yeah. a way that almost no other, no other modern Christmas song has done. It's the dream for Christmas songs. Right. And again, don't yell at me about your NSYNCs. There's, there's not been a modern Christmas song that has landed in the same way. Uh, it, whoever comes at you with an NSYNC is going to get smacked. I feel there are a lot of people who like are embarrassed of their general pop music associations or their NSYNC fandom generally yeah. who really get hard about that one Christmas album. Don't even know what it sounds like. Merry Christmas, happy holidays. <laughs> Anyway, um, complete with whining and nasalness. Oh, God. Okay. But I will say that she really, really worked for it this year. What does that mean? Because you, you, we've talked about work and then she has a sliding scale of what work <laughs> means. Okay. So every year she just takes over Christmas anyway, right? There's always a series of concert booked, concerts booked. Fine. Like that is her standard Christmas. Does she have a phrase? Like what's her tagline where Christmas is concerned? Like I feel like it should be a catchphrase, but I haven't heard it in a real succinct manner. I think she would say, all I want for Christmas is you. That's what she would say? I thought she said like Mariah Carey is Christmas or I'm Christmas or I own Christmas or something. This year, Mariah Carey is Christmas has been a thing that people are saying, but okay. uh, yeah, it's a song. 
Um, <laughs> it's the song. And every year she does a Christmas standard level of work, <laughs> which is a series of concerts. Great. Fine. This year, she's been next level. It's the anniversary. Uh-huh. It's, there's a re-release mm-hmm. to commemorate the anniversary. She's doing more interviews than she ever has. Um, she what did, is she saying in them? Well, in the interviews, like, for example, she did one with Cosmo. So they made her do, like, um, to identify the cheaper or the more expensive ornaments yeah. and stockings uh-huh. and wrapping paper. She did one with GQ that defines, like, how uh, how she spends Christmas, what she cooks when she does cook. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, she did Billy on the Street. Yeah. Wow. I know. I mean, that's something. Yeah. <laughs> Billy on the Street requires movement. Yes. Like, actually being physically on the street. Correct. And, like, moving quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she did Billy on the Street. She's doing lots and lots of extra over and above her regular Christmas output to push this to number one, to be front and center in our faces. And she got there. She worked, Duanna. How many Mariah Carey, how many number one records does Mariah Carey have? Well, it's All time. Every, the, it's a known number because it's the most, 18 number ones. Like singles. individual singles, Correct. right? One yeah. Sweet Day and Hero in, and all yeah. the rest of it. Nobody else has more than her. But she had to have this one. Now 19. She had to have this. Yes. Like what you basically sound like you're telling me is that she woke from her slumber in late September <laughs> and was like, this is the year, and said, I have to have it. I can't not be number one. On the 25th anniversary. And so she pulled it all out. Like, this was the year. Somebody was like, maybe you should just wait around for 30. And she's like, 30? 30 years? Who knows where I'll be? I'm doing it this year. True? I want to believe that's true, Duanna. Okay, so, all right, fine. I accept this. I like how this is going down at, I, I mean, I just had an image of like Mariah Carey Enterprises boardrooms. Like, do you think that she actually has a bed at the top of the boardroom table? Correct. Everybody else has chairs, right? But she conducts the boardroom meeting from bed. Or it's a little bit like Versailles and Louis XIV, um, Louis XIV, where um, <clears throat> back in the day, in the Sun King's day, like <laughs> there would be like he has his bed chambers. Right. Oh, and they just file and in. And then right. there's like literally it looks like that's a stage. And then there's a barricade. Right. And on the other side, the courtiers sit and watch every day. They would watch his toiletries. Right. And right. they come to, to receive his. Right. Yeah. So I feel like that's how she takes meetings. Okay. She doesn't take shit in front of them. But like, Yeah. I just like the idea of her being carried into an all-white bed in a boardroom <laughs> on the 78th floor somewhere. Um, okay, fine. She does it. Is she revealing anything? Is she being fun in these interviews? 100%. Okay. She's being fun. She's being cheeky. She's being that version of her that we want to see. Mm-hmm. Extra, kind of, you know, a little shady, but also of the spirit. Yes, sure. Yeah. And it's worked. And it's it number clearly one. clearly has worked, yeah. The, the week before Christmas, Mariah Carey has finally, all I want for Christmas is you, is number one. So you know what I'm going to say, though? Yes. What? Has she peaked? Uh, now what? Like, now what happens? What if next year it only goes to number three? Can you? I don't think it matters anymore. Like, can you peak when you own Christmas? I Yes, you got to own it again. Is she going to drop a new single next year? What, a new Christmas single? Yes. 
Joanna, what do you want from this woman? She has written the definitive Christmas song of our time. Okay, but now it has reached its peak. It's number one. She's done the interviews. What happens next year? Somebody's going to call her and be like, how do you feel that it's number six this year? It's falling down the charts. People like you suck. Oh, why is that? Because, I mean, like, this is already the accomplishment. Okay, I love the accomplishment, but it's because the song is 25 years old that I'm curious. It's like, again, as you said, she had 18 number ones. She didn't need this, but then she did. So she was like, I got to go get it. I just, there's something about a concerted effort for something that, let's be honest, she probably resents that it was never there before. Of course. It's like, it's the ultimate revenge fantasy. (laughs) She's like, I'm going to, it's, it sounds like a great, like pitch for a rom-com actually that she's going to make it climb to number one. This is her move. Excuse me. There's a documentary coming out. Uh, I beg your pardon? Yeah. There's a documentary coming out on Amazon uh-huh. about the making of the song, All I Want for Christmas is You. <laughs> How did you not know this? I wish you could see my face. Like, I just got exhausted. Yeah. Okay. She worked for it. I'm telling you, she worked for it. Our show is called Show Your Work. The person whose work is different from what we normally talk about when we talk about work and hustle, work to get to number one, and she got to number one. I need you to stop asking more from her. This is it. I'm very thrilled and proud. (laughs) I think it's wonderful. Great. Can I go home now? Fine. I'm so, I I, like, I I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. I feel, I I love it. It's a great song. It's It's amazing. It's also like a record as no song or very few songs that have been around for 25 years go to number one, despite being a huge moneymaker. It wasn't like it was, nobody listened to the song in 1994 and 95 and 96 and 2004. Like we all know the song. You know all the words to this song. Every word. Of course. Every word. You know, like as soon as the little first jingle jangle started. Of course. So it's not like it wasn't a popular song. No, for sure. That people just woke up to today. We've been waking up to it at Christmas every year for 25 years. And this year it went to number one. It's a great story. It's a wonderful story. But when she goes back to Versailles (laughs) and she goes to sleep, like, is she happy now? Is she like there? Yes. Done. Yes. Because if this is the last number one mm-hmm. of her career, and she already has more number ones than anybody else, and this is the last one that she gets, this is also the song that people will be listening to in 250 years. How could I possibly top that statement? How could I go anywhere? Let's marry Mariah Christmas <laughs> to Great. that. Shall we do a Christmas-themed heads up? Oh, hell yes. If there is one. Yeah. Oh, I can't find a Christmas one. No Christmas themes? What else do we have? Oh, here. As seen on TV. Okay. Is this like products and infomercials? From classic to modern, it's all your favorite TV shows. Get your teammates to guess the show without saying any word in the title and without rhyming. Ready? Interesting. It's a very odd distinction. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Stand by. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus. What if we're too young and trendy for these questions? Uh, it was a variety show. It was very famous. He Ed was, Sullivan. Yes. It, Rami Malek. Mr. Robot. Yes. Uh, bottling Plant and uh, Hots and Pepper Incorporated. 
Fried green tomatoes. No, older by far. Penny Marshall. Oh, uh, Laverne and Shirley. Yes. Oh, uh, God. Walter Matthau starred in the movie about a couple. A terrible child who was blonde. Uh, Skip it. Uh, It's part of a big franchise, and this segment is set in a city in Florida. Mm. Big TV franchise that you know that has initials. And um, oh, Magnum PI. No, uh, you, CSI, CSI Miami. Yes. Uh, Juliana Margulies wears a wig. The Good Wife. Yes. Uh, I, my favorite question, uh, Lorella's favorite show, everybody's favorite game Ozark. show. Ozark or game show, Je- Jeopardy. Yeah. I didn't get that though. Okay, that wasn't too bad. It wasn't. Two, three, four, five, five. Okay. All right. All right. Let's see how this goes. My clues will be amazing. Okay. Oh, uh, it aired on MTV and it featured people racing each other. Drag race. It was a non-scripted show. Pimp My Ride. The earliest unscripted show before Survivor and before young people. Young people. Okay. Oh, uh, not in Miami, but regular. CSI. And also that last one was the real world, wasn't it? Correct. Mary Louise Parker played a marijuana distributor. A soap opera about the earth's uh, turning. uh, ah! As the world turns. Thank you. Lucy Liu was in this. Allie McRoom. Yeah. Um, um, Misha Barton was in this. The OC? Yeah. And a member of uh, Public Enemy. Uh, oh, man, this is another one. Uh, it's uh, Ice... Uh, what was it? What, what was that? All right, let's flav, see here. Flavor of Love. Oh, Flavor of Love. Oh, that's not where I thought we were going. See, okay. The real world. Yeah, it was the real world. Okay, all right. I got five. That's, all right. That's not my favorite category, but uh, I feel like we represented ourselves pretty well. Thank you for listening. And for always showing us your work in our inboxes and in your lives. We love hearing from you guys. We love what's going on uh, in the name of Show Your Work. Uh, We are going to try to hear from lots of you next week. So send us your thoughts as always. Leave comments and reviews wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. And again, thank you so much for supporting our podcast. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details.